I'm Jennifer Isabella, your host for Forrester's podcast, What It Means, where we explore the latest market dynamics impacting executives and their customers. In today's episode, we're going to hear a session from last year's Data Strategy and Insights Forum. In this session, Principal Analyst Max Ball talks with Principal Analyst Seth Mars and Senior Analyst Christina McAllister about the insights that can be gained through conversational intelligence. Let's take a listen. Hey everybody, Max Ball here. I'm an analyst here at Forster Research, and I get to have the August role of being the moderator of what I think is gonna be a great conversation. What we're gonna talk about today is conversational intelligence and just the insights that companies are starting to find and the new ways that this is happening. And one of the things that's really exciting about conversational intelligence is how the data that you can gather and the value and the impact that you get is so broad across an organization. This is not something that a contact center can use or a marketing team can use or whatever. It's very broad in its scope. So how I want to start this discussion, and Seth, I'll start with you, um, just a little bit about your background and you know, how does that color your perception of this space and conversational intelligence? Yeah, <clears throat> thanks, Max. It, it's a, I, my background is very much practitioner based. I've been with sales and marketing organizations. I've been in sales operations on the, the, in the intersection between where operations execution, operational execution and technology sit and constantly working with businesses to try to optimize, to make life easier for the seller to give them a chance to sell more. So that's what brought me into Forrester is to provide guidance to clients to do similar things. And conversation intelligence came to the forefront for us in a really big way on the sales and marketing side when COVID hit. And all of these sailor, sellers that were out in the field selling were now sitting at their desks like we are trying to figure out how do I talk to a customer the obvious way and one that frankly they've been avoiding for years is to get on one of these teleconferences and talk to their customers through video. So what we saw with that is COVID just, it took a, what would it would have come to be in five years and sandwiched it into a year. And that pushed on us as analysts to say, wait, we have to get in front of this because it's starting to change the way business works. So I was pushed to the forefront of it and have been covering it ever since. So it's a very, very interesting space and a very important space for sales and marketing folks. Cool. And Christina, you and I are both kind of in the customer service contact center world. So I'm a little more familiar with your background, but you, 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 your perspective. So you tell it. I will, I will tell everybody else. Um, so while, while Seth looks at conversation intelligence at a, at a, to support sellers, I primarily look at it from the customer service side, uh, specifically in the contact center. Um, and I've spent basically my whole career in the customer service or contact center adjacent space back to when I was a teenager working at Blockbuster at the service counter. Um, I was working at, as an outbound sales person. So I get what's, what Seth is talking about when he's talking about like, we were allergic to the idea of teleconferencing like for, for a long time. Um, and then I was selling, I was a sales engineer on the vendor side, selling things like chatbots, IVRs, speech analytics, you know, basically any contact center technology that exists, I've like 
probably touched some part of it. So at Forrester, I cover the conversation intelligence space from the CX perspective or customer service perspective, helping clients understand how they might use this technology to really improve enterprise CX by sharing customer insights found in the conversations with their customers across the enterprise or specifically in contact center operations to improve agent efficiencies or effectiveness or to make, to reduce costs and things like that. So there's different domains, but there's a lot of overlap in what you guys are looking at within that domain and, and what's okay. interesting about it. And, you know, yeah, we talk a lot. We talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I do too, but sometimes it's just to myself. Um, the, so Conversation intelligence is, is just, just a lot of big syllables. It's, it's kind of buzzwordy. It, it, it's help make this real for people. And Christina, I'm going to pick on you first. What, you know, give us a use case. How does this work? Where does it fit? Yeah. So I, I feel like um, I'll ground it first in the customer service use case because we've all We've all called the contact center. We've all heard the the phrase, you know, this will be recorded for quality and assurance purposes. <laughs> And like you know, we like we we have not been dissimilar to the sales scenario. Like we've been in the customer service space, we've been recording calls for like eons, right? Like they've always been recorded, but they've often just been sitting in some kind of like sad database somewhere, not being used, being kept for compliance purposes alone, right? So recently we've been starting to see widespread adopt enterprise adoption of the technology that really allows the companies to know what's going on inside those calls because they have a lot of them and there's a lot of value in there um and understanding what's in there at scale providing the ability to automate elements of the contact center workflow either back office or or fr you know frontline um and and those are really kind of like the areas that we are starting to see this shape around um, in the contact center specifically, there are three main pillars that I see. It's really uh, conversation analytics or post-contact analytics, whether that be chatting, calling, messaging. Um, the ability to automate the traditional quality monitoring flow, so the ability to score agent conversations to make sure that they are doing what they're supposed to be doing, that they, you could provide them with coaching guidance as well as new newer and we'll talk you know we'll talk about this in a little bit but like newer ai powered tools that provide the assistance to to agents in real time um so basically why are my customers calling or messaging me how are my agents handling those conversations and how can i use ai in real time to to intervene in some way to provide support to the agent so that they can handle the the customer conversations and there's kind of like two reasons to care, I would say. And the first one is basically like before in the before times, and also still in the now times for many companies, but in the before times also, um, we would manually evaluate 2% of an agent's calls at random, which is, if you could imagine being evaluated for 2% of your work at random, like I would not be up for that at all. But so like thinking about like that ecosystem, very frustrating for agents. Um, this technology allows companies to get more complete visibility into what's happening, providing a trended view, which is great for agent performance management, for coaching, to really like start treating them more like the way that everybody else is treated at work, where you're getting a more holistic view of your, of your work effort and your performance. And then on the other side, really important for driving insights across the enterprise, the story that I got like four days ago, I chatted with someone from, from a large uh, financial institution in the US. She gets around a million calls a week, uh, a million calls a week, but around uh, 100 to 150,000 completed surveys a month, which is if my math is right around like 5%, 
which is you can't make decisions about your customer experience improvements based on 5% of your most vocal customer base, right? So companies are looking to augment their VOC or voice of the customer or customer listening programs with insights from conversation intelligence to get a broader just understanding of what's going on. So both at like operational and CX perspective, a little long, but that, that's what's going on. No, that's great. That's great. Seth, how about in your world? Yeah, million calls a week. Yeah, a little bit different on the B, uh, the B2C side. You can get into similar volumes when you're yeah. when you're doing outbound calling or taking inbound leads that are coming through. On the B2B side, the volumes are sparse. So it, it's really interesting to, to hear you talk about it, Christina, because for a B2B seller, just getting four or five phone calls in a week is like what I can actually see what well, what's happening. And the so that the reasons are the same but the volumes and how they're used are very different right in the past sellers would go on a ride along and they would they would work they would work to get answers by sitting and listening as that buyer talked to customers so the big use case for sales is all the things that were invisible to me are now visible whereas i think in the call center area they were available to be visible but there's just tools coming in to make them more visible on the sales side that same coaching use case is just as valuable, but now what they couldn't see before, they can now see. So it changes everything. And you could see a, like a stagger step on how they're adopting compared to how you're adopting because their use case is, oh, it's visible. I'm gonna go listen to a whole bunch of recorded calls to be able to, yeah. to, be able to listen. I can listen to 2% of my calls today. So they're in that mindset. And in a lot of cases, when that happens, it's like, okay, I get we took a big leap here. You need to go from not just listening to recorded calls, you need to set up ways to be able to see the key moments in the calls so you can listen to all your calls. You're not gonna have 2 million calls to work with, you're gonna have 10, 15 calls in a week that are coming through in B2B and they're gonna be scattered across a bunch of different deals. Set up so that so the use case we talk about and we we are seeing getting more traction that's really valuable beyond the standard hey okay I can listen to a call where I couldn't listen to a call before is triggers where you set up and you go okay these are the key moments I want to look for in standard systems you'll get a keyword search that you put a bunch in there and it finds yeah. it in some of the more advanced systems it'll get pretty contextual so you can say this is generally what I want them to say it and I'll serve up those. And it allows them to go in and instead of listening to that 60 minute phone call, which is typically okay. how long these calls are and trying to be able to yeah. coach, they can go to the four moments in that call and listen to six minutes and be able to get the gist of everything they need to be able to coach, guide and improve all their seller's performance. Then on the flip side, the other use case that's really, really valuable in sales is deal progression and deal understanding. So you'll see yes. companies that'll go in put in a trigger to say every time pricing comes up, I wanna see I want to see what happened and how my seller talked about it. Oh, by the way, I'm giving that to our product team as well so they can see how many time pricing come up. So the seller oh, saying, yeah. oh, it's too expensive mm -hmm. is kind of over now because they can go in and say price and then here's all the snippets. We'll tell for sure if it's all expensive. Seller, you just sell. We have this tool now to help us do that. And I can imagine that like, that is magic for the competitive battle card situation. If competitors come up a lot, being able to hear literally from the mm. customer's own mouth, what are they even saying about it? In the past, you would have uh, product marketing folks kind of 
wanting to sit on sales calls, but they would be in person. They're not going to fly them out. They're not going to call them in just the one person to listen in. It's, it's really hard to do that at scale. But now they're able to basically take a look at, you know, basically the control F, all of my competitors and get a, a good sense of what's going on. Yeah. And the interesting thing is the shortcut for product teams was, hey, seller, what do you think the problem is with my product? Versus yeah, hey, customer. lots of bias. Yeah. Exactly. Right. So you get some good stuff out of the product. It's better than what you had. But now I just go put my product name in. And every time someone says my product name, I get an email saying, here's where it was said. And here's how the customer responded. Here's how the seller responded. Super powerful in trying to drive and understand customer sentiment around your products. And you, you mentioned the B2C use case, and we've talked a lot about this since I, I joined Forrester a year ago. And there's this weird use case that kind of sits in between us where there's marketing teams, which is, was very unusual for me to hear because you tend to not see a max. And I was like, marketing and customer service don't tend to talk a lot in general. There's a little bit of a, little bit of a you know, a, a, a silo wall in between them. But when you think about the, the use case that I've been hearing is that marketing folks will start to use the, the, the intelligence from usually B2C use case, but um, intelligence from the contact center to understand, okay, I'm popping, you know, I'm making a bunch of investments in say SEO. Um, and I want to know, how those leads end up over in the contact center and how the the reps are handling them. Same story that you're talking about where it's like, is price a problem? Is the product a problem? Like, you know, what's going on? But the but they're looking at it entirely from an attribution standpoint. Where do you yep. think that kind of fits? Or like what are what are your thoughts on all of that? I mean, it came out when we did the B to when we did the B to B and B to C sales and marketing wave. It came yeah. out really clearly because those two things are very different. B2B isn't really looking at attribution yet. I think they're going to over time, but B2C, it's a critical functionality. And I think a lot of that is due to, I can go and see where that call, where the search happened, tie it all the way to when you click on that website to make the call and then be able to see exactly where it went. So you have this direct tie to attribution on this call came from this yeah. web search, which is like a dream come true for a, for a marketer to understand what's working and what's not. So everybody in B2C has to have it. And it's very useful there because usually that call ends in a sale or ends in a loss. So they can right. see what, how far did you get through it? They can see the action of what happened. And then they can go back and look at what worked and what didn't and be able to give guidance. So it's, super impactful and especially in high velocity deals which is mostly b2c you can get yeah. a full understanding of where your money is going and did you handle it well like it's it's i know b2b would want it but b2b you get one phone call and then your eight other phone calls that you can't track together or an email it's just too dis it's just too disinterview it's just fragmented everywhere so it doesn't it doesn't work there yeah. yet but it's such a valuable piece. And it's more the tech behind it than it is anything yeah. a user would see in a recording. So it, it's, yeah, when we, when we, it was a clear differentiator for B2C and really not that important for B2B. I heard a story recently. I told you about this, but I didn't tell anybody else. So, uh, I, you know, talking about um, there was someone who was able to see directly the impact of their search bidding investments on contact center volumes, which is so interesting. It's a yeah. lever that I think a lot of companies don't really think about, but of course it impacts things. But the, the ability to like coordinate and think about that 
is an interesting paradigm. There was also yeah. another one and, and like Max will, Max will probably be like, yes, yes, yes. But the, the, there was another scenario where, um, a lot of contact centers have the reputation of being a cost center, right? So then there's a lot of uh, push to um, drive upsell, cross-sell, that kind of thing, trying to change it more into a revenue generation center. Um, so previously, what you would end up having to do is um, the, the rep would pull like a disposition code and say like, this was a yep. sellable lead or not a sellable lead. And so what the this company did looking at the, they were able to basically automate the dispositioning of that so that there was no longer this tension it was just trued up by the technology where it's like, no, your reps, they just didn't think it was a sellable lead because they, they're not salespeople, but we can coach them to that. But we need to know in reality whether it was or was not sellable. We need to have that ground truth there. So this kind of like de-biases some of that. Um, it, it, there's a little bit of tension between the organizations for sure, because they do want different things. They're gold on different things. But, but it's an interesting new kind of avenue to to reshape how that how that relationship looks yeah it's really cool how they do that too right you bring that in and they just a lot of companies are even though they can figure out from from using the technology whether it was apply whether it was a sales sales lead or not they mm -hmm. use that disposition by in, in the series i see you see it from the the customer service standpoint but yeah. when it's a sales like when it's a sales call center which is where we always intersect you see yeah. it where they still keep that disposition code, but then what they do is they use it as a training mechanism to be able to improve the algorithm and make oh. it more and more and more accurate. So they'll disposition and it'll say, no, it wasn't a lead and the algorithm will say it is. And then they go back and evaluate that and say who was right. And if the sale, if, if the person answering the phone was right, they feed it back mm -hmm. in and now that algorithm picks it up next time. So it's and a, there's a, it's, the flip side is the coaching. If they were wrong, if the human was wrong, it's like, actually, this is where you missed this opportunity. And oh, very cool. Yeah. So it's, if you look and go, well, why don't you just take it away? It's like, well, because it's a training thing. And that's one of those weird things with AI, especially is all like I've come across this lately with a lot of clients. It's like, oh, I, I want to see my metric and then I use it and then I go do my work. It's like, no, you're, if you're using tools like this, you're actually working with the tool. <laughs> you're working yes. with your insight. If it's wrong, you tell it it's wrong and it fixes it. And it's not as wrong before, or it's not as wrong the next time it goes around. Yeah, the, the mistake of like, oh, 100% automation, never have a human again. Like that, no, no, we're not there yet. We're not even close. Nope. But, not even but there's close. still a lot of like value in, in kind of finding that, Kind of cohesion i'm hearing that a lot on the contact center side with automated quality monitoring there was a big push for years around like 100 automation do it all but then now we're starting to see that pull back a little bit because people are realizing there's a value in having the streamlining of what the machine can evaluate like the binary like obvious yes no's but when there's a little bit of human nuance you need a human being and that and that's okay. You're still get like the the value of the machine there is finding the calls that you should be evaluating in the first place, not a bunch of like, you know, like two 20 second calls that have nothing in them. Like don't waste your time with those. Look at look at the ones that have a little bit of coaching opportunity at least. So that's a lot on kind of kind of historic analytics, looking at things that have happened and kind of gathering all of that um most of these really taking advantage, talked a little bit about kind of just listening to recordings, which doesn't really take advantage of what these tools can do, but but is important there. Um, Christina, how about 
real-time use cases for this? What can you do in the moment with this technology? Yeah, I think like real-time in the contact center, we've been talking about this for a while now, Like the, but it truly wasn't really feasible until recently. Like you could do it. It was a whole pain in the butt to implement. It was a, a big lift in a lot of different ways. But so the the reality, I think, is that we're here in a position where the latency isn't ridiculous. Like we are at a place where we can serve things in actual real time. Um, and it's not as difficult to deploy because there's better cloud adoption. There's better technologies to get us there and those types of things. So it's possible, but that doesn't always mean that it's valuable. <laughs> and so what I would say is that what's real and valuable today is supporting agents with knowledge in real time. So like if I needed to basically, mm. if I'm having a conversation, there's I'm a new agent and something comes up that I'm not that familiar with, the bot, or well, I say bot, but like AI, the system can basically pop up and say, um, for example, if there's a claim in a, in a certain state and I need to know the rules of that state, so that it can come up and say in Rhode Island, this is the, you know, like the, the claim parameters or whatever. So that I don't need to memorize that. That's helpful for me. I don't have to go digging into a system either because usually in the context center, you have to go, you know, sifting through page after page after page, screen after screen. And we want to like collapse that, make it easier for the agent. Um, same idea with procedural guidance. I, need, I don't want to have to memorize the steps that I need to do to do something or in the best case scenario, actually just automating the workflow. If there is some sort of system all the way over there and you can just kind of do an RPA link to, to just streamline that, all I have to do is press a button and it brings it easily over for me and just kind of completes that workflow. That shaves off a lot of average handle time. There's obvious ROI. Um, there's a lot of value there. Where I am a little bit more cynical of the value um, is in the behavioral coaching for service specifically. It's It makes a lot more sense in sales than it does in service for real time because there's, um, there's an incentive, right? Like I have an outcome, I know what I want to get done, and I can see as an agent why I would adopt these tips because if they get me the closed one deal, I'm happy to do whatever, right? As far as like that's the whole name of the game. Whereas in service, it's really hard to link the value to something that means something for the agent. And it can be really difficult to, to prove a, a, an ROI on that. I have a lot of clients that just struggle to find the, the way to measure that business case. Um, so I'm, I'm not seeing it. I'm seeing a lot of noise about it. That's for sure. But I don't know that I'm seeing a lot of value there. And I'm a little more skeptical of, of that use case for now anyway. How about you, Seth? Yeah, I, I mean, from my perspective, I, I have the sales use case, and I agree completely with Christina on that. The the Think about an outbound motion for a seller, right? That is scripted. So you can do real-time scripting where it's pulling all that up, and it's probably going to be the same each and every time as you go through it. It's a little bit more rote there. Even on inbound, right, you're going to get a request. The request is going to look like this, and you're going you're gonna to move through it. The prompts that come up that can be auto surfaced are just as valuable in sales as they are as they are in the call center. The the big thing is like that I'm seeing is B to C is picking it up, really looking at it and really likes it. B to B, it's there. We're starting to see more and more people do it, but it hasn't really caught on the same way. And I think that is that, that that's really because B to C is high transaction, very fast, one step close sales. 
So where I think you're going to see it go is also in the B2B side, you're going to get into the BDR, SDR space, those one transaction, very high velocity For sales. The meeting, so, even. Exactly. Like it's, it's so, yeah. Yeah, I can prop, pull those prompts up. I think there's another component to real time that's going to significantly enhance its ability. And it's just how smart these systems can be got, become at surfacing what's being said and giving you small snippets of scripts or small insights that are very contextual and, and really right for the moment. So Christina's point talking about, I can't give a big old script to somebody that when I, when you get an incoming call saying my, you know, my TV's broken. Oh, here, let me give you my five step script. I'm going to have, it, it just doesn't work that way. Cause you don't even, you don't know that what's what you need to do to fix it, but you could have, little chunks that'll start being provided based on the progression of the conversation. The, 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 it just hasn't got smart enough yet to do that, but that's an area where I think you'll see it expand. The other side of it is like, it's, it's eventually going to be there for a seller because contrary to popular belief, B2B sellers don't know everything. And especially if you're okay. selling a big complex portfolio, there's no possible yeah. way you can know anything. Companies have entire overlay teams to be able to bring in and help sellers. But guess what? When you pull buyers, they don't want to have another conversation with you. They want you to tell them the answer when you're on the call. That's where those prompts are gonna be hugely valuable. If you can just service enough to give the answer to their question, you don't have to be an expert, but you can at least know, surface it up, answer the question, then it can log it for you as a follow-up where you can give them more details. So it increases the experience that a B2B buyer or a B2B buying group trust, would have in talking. For sure. Yeah, and it makes the that yeah. makes the seller look very educated and be able to talk to the context of that of that specific use case. Whereas today, what you'd get is, oh, great question. I'll note that down and I'll get back to you with that answer. I think B I think real time has a very big future for all of us. Um, I'll give you one more on real time, just because we talk about it so much and it's this space. Oh gosh, we're hearing about it when like hammered at, on that. That's the topic, right? Like all the time. Yeah. So a B two B example is consent. So you probably think, well, why do I care about real time for consent? Well, what's going to end up happening is in consent environments where you cannot record, you're not going to record. What you're going to do is record real time, transcribe into summarization, and then log that summarization. So you have, you're taking care of all the insights on the call and not having to deal with this call. It's going to be recorded or we're, we're down to it. We're going to do a lightning round here where we're going all in right. the future. You got two minutes each. Where are we going to see conversation intelligence in two years? Go, Christina. First. Oh, in two, two years. Minutes. Oh, okay. So I think like the 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 fastest thing that I think is going to to come to fruition is really the, the three pillars that I mentioned. We need to like bridge them, right? Like they need to be coming together around just like I'm expecting to see a lot more vendors bridging the the post contact analytics alongside the automated quality monitoring for that coaching piece, which then can funnel into directly the the real-time coaching. There's a lot of disparate kind of like individual point solutions. And even within a singular suite, they're not necessarily connected with one kind of model base, one in one kind of analytics base. And I think that the real value is going to be when in the middle of a coaching session, if I can, as a supervisor, 
pull something up for just Seth, not to give him like the module that everybody else has, but to give him the, the prompts that he needs to be better in his his delivery. And that might be for diffusing a, a tough conversation. If he struggles with that, just to give him the things that he needs for the for the next time we can evaluate how he did. What tends to happen is you have that kind of uh, real-time kit, say, and you get maybe 10 prompts. Nine of them are not going to be relevant to you. Maybe one of them is, but I'm tuning that out. So thinking about like, how do you get really tailored about what specifically each agent needs in real time? What is the data that we can use about their performance that can then reinforce coaching offline with your supervisor, but also in, in the call? What about you, Seth? Yeah, I'm going to give you a dead easy one because I'm already seeing it in the market. And I know it's going to evolve huh. and it sounds really cool to say, which is you're going to start seeing people looking at acoustics and and nonverbal cues to be able to yeah. derive insight. Mm. That's coming. It's There's a lot of people looking at it. Um, there's varying levels of excitement. And I think there will be varying levels of fear by the people who are on that. So it's going to be interesting yeah. to see it come. And then how the market responds to embracing it. Do they turn their camera off or do they look at it as a way to give that seller more information to help Maybe themselves? The, 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 the video AI. Yeah, yeah. Emotion AI and video. Yeah, and acoustics, right? Like how you sound, yeah. what you're saying, like all the yeah, things yeah, yeah. that are nonverbal. Mm -hmm. Since since teleconferencing is the biggest piece with B2B, it's gonna emerge there and evolve there in a pretty big way. Um, but I already see that one coming. It'll take two years to adopt. So I can tick that one off is in two years, it'll be either mainstream or it'll be a riot to say, turn it off. Or, or we've um, killed it. Yeah, yeah, or, you've, <laughs> yeah or you've killed it. It'll, it'll die by then. I'll give you one that's completely boring, um, but it's it's B2B. And to me, it's the most important part if you're going to get access to CI is you need, or if you're going to make the most of CI. And that's, you need to bring together all the interactions that are, ha that are happening. The toughest job mm -hmm of a sales team and trying to understand how a deal went is to take the 27 interactions that happen that make up yeah. that deal, combine them together and analyze them together in a way that you can derive an insight. You cannot do that today. It's incredibly hard and companies that get to that will be able to provide insights that just don't exist because most CI companies in the B2B space, and I think in the B2C, and I think also in call centers are onesie twosie, right? I record yeah. your call and I analyze your call. Next call, record that a call, analyze yeah. the call. That aggregated view, that is, that's a bigger challenge, but I think that challenge has to be solved in the next two, year for two years if we're going to get the most out of this in B2B. I think like B2C too, I think you're totally right. Like looking at the, like from a relationship and an engagement perspective overall, if I'm hitting you from the chatbot, the messaging app, my phone, the IVR, why don't you know that? You should know that. Yeah. And like we're recording all of them over here. Like we are. They're all recorded. But whether or not they're yeah, like, why don't you give them the sales? Yeah, well, <laughs> so they okay. That's a, good, that's a great yeah. question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and I would argue that's anything but boring, Seth. And yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, maybe you know, if you look at it, you might be nerds. Yeah. 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 And if you look at it at the grandest scale, it's not just a technology issue, it's a corporate silo issue. Because oh, yeah. if sales wants to know about marketing interaction and support interaction and everything else, boy, that's a big problem above and beyond just getting a technology to do it. So Absolutely. we did it. This was, a, I, 
I'm so glad I had a front row seat to this conversation. This was great for me. Uh, I want to just thank you guys and thank everybody for joining us. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. If you like what you heard today, be sure to check out the agendas for our upcoming technology conferences, Technology and Innovation North America, and Data Strategy and Insights happening September 10th through 14th in Austin, Texas. To learn more, visit forrester.com events. Thanks for listening.